Welcome to the Relentless Growth Podcast with Chris Goodman, where business owners and personal growth junkies just like you get their fix of tough questions and powerful coaching conversations so you can become your best, find your purpose, discover new levels of freedom, and lead others in their pursuit of relentless growth. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Relentless Growth Podcast. And all I can say today is I am glad this show is audio because I'm looking pretty rough today. I have not shaved. I have not showered. Today, a friend of mine ended up in the hospital. He's okay. Just had to go in for a heart issue that they're monitoring. Our assistant got into a car crash. She's okay. The car is not. I signed a great client on top of all that, in the middle of all that, had several excellent coaching calls with my clients in between those things, and just simply have not had time to shower or get cleaned up. So I'm looking pretty rough. And I tell you several of those things for a few reasons too. Part of personal growth, if I haven't mentioned it a thousand times, is learning to be grounded in not just awareness, but gratitude, being grateful for what's going right And for the things that are not going right, being grateful that they don't last forever. At least that's been part of my growth in the last few years. And as I think about the things that almost happened today, you know, my friend in the hospital, our assistant with her car wreck, it makes me realize just how we don't slow down enough to really appreciate what we have while we have it. So that's my way of cautioning you to slow down. Wherever you are in the world, wherever you are in your day, and take just a moment to really be grateful for the things that may not always be there and could be taken from you at any moment. Moving ahead to this episode, today I'm going to talk about language. And you've probably heard me if you've caught the episodes where I'm coaching somebody or if you're listening very carefully on the interviews I conduct, I'm listening extremely closely to the language the person across from me is using. I'm also listening for what they're not saying, what language they're not using. So an example is when somebody has a loose commitment in coaching, you'll hear it show up like, you know, I know I should probably just make a plan to do the thing that I haven't wanted to do. (laughs) And I'm laughing because you can hear the weakness in that language. I should probably just make a plan. There's no commitment. There's no decision there, right? On the other hand, when somebody comes in, they says, they say, they says, (laughs) that's funny that I said that on a podcast about language. When somebody comes in and they say, you know what? Here's what I will do. Boom, boom, boom. A, B, C. That's what I will do. Completely different than I should probably just make a plan to do something about it. So the whole point of this episode is to give you some guidance on the language that you may be using, or if you run a business the language people in your organization are using that's disempowering and how to shift that to more empowering language. So first off, why does language matter so much? Like, why is it even important? We get the point and the example there that, you know, somebody showed up with a a lack of commitment in that particular example, but why does language matter for everything else? Here's why. And I always use this quote to describe why language matters. It's an eclectic quote. If you've never seen the movie V for Vendetta, you may not know what I'm talking about. There's a point in the movie where the main character, who's kind of the good guy, bad guy, he slows down and he says, 
Words offer the means to meaning, and for those who will listen, the enunciation of truth. Words offer the means to meaning, and for those who will listen, the enunciation of truth. It's kind of a fancy way of saying, if you really listen carefully to the words people choose to use, because they are a choice, if you really listen to those, you can hear the enunciation of truth in their language. Because everybody is using language to reflect their meaning, their reality, their thoughts, their beliefs, their disbeliefs, their limiting beliefs, all of it. The words they choose reflect that. So I think of it as this kind of mirror that we can examine very closely if we listen cautiously. And you heard me on the last podcast say two ears, one mouth. Right? One of my big rules I learned from my mentor in real estate, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. We need to listen twice as carefully and speak less. So for coaches, particularly, I can't imagine anything other than listening very deeply to people's words and the language they choose. As I've grown as a coach and a business owner, I can't imagine owning a business or having a team report to me and not being very careful about the language I use, or at least at a bare minimum, listening intently to their language, to the truth that they're enunciating, right? So today I'm going to go through this a little bit about the words that are classic red flags in language, especially if you're running a business and or a team. So let's just dive into this. Hopefully that makes sense in terms of why language is important, because everybody around you is using it to reflect their culture, their worldview, their limiting beliefs, their perspective, their reality. Now, sometimes you're going to get these red flags, whether you're coaching somebody whether you know, you're know you getting ready to fire somebody and you have to have a serious, fierce conversation with them. Maybe you're in a conversation with your spouse or your partner. Who knows? But if you're in conversation with somebody, these things, these words are going to come up. Number one, the word can't. Now, if you are a student of personal growth, you know can't is one of the most limiting words in the English language. I can't afford that. I can't go to the gym more often. I can't get over my ex. I can't expand into a new market. It just won't work there. It can't work there. All kinds of limiting beliefs hiding behind this one word. And if you listen very closely, what you're really hearing is a cry for help. That person may not even know that they have a blind spot there, right? But that language, that word will show you that they fundamentally have a belief or at least a thought in there that they are not resourceful enough to do that thing, capable enough to do that thing, or worthy enough to do that thing. My experience is it's usually the latter. It's usually a a worthiness issue. I can't raise my rates. I can't expand my team. I can't take my product public. Who knows? So listen to this in your own language. Of course, we're our own students first. And if you're a coach, you know, it requires really high levels of coaching anyway, I'll say, require you to be your own best student of coaching. So listen to your own language, even in your head. And I know that sounds strange, but think about how many thoughts you have a day, somewhere between 40 and 100,000 thoughts per day, depending on who you ask. Imagine how much of that language is laced with disempowering words like, I can't. Now, it's great to identify when you use the word can't or you hear someone else use the word can't. 
then what? Awareness is one thing. Taking action to remedy a disempowering thought is another. Here, in the beginning, I really would just recommend noticing when that word creeps up. Does it tend to be around money? Does it tend to be around relationships or health or your spirituality or that you can't take time off to have fun? That is one of the most common things I hear. I can't afford to take a vacation away from my business right now. I can't. I don't have the time. Notice where it's popping up because it's going to reflect back to you where you have some serious limiting beliefs in your life. And those are going to follow you around into other parts of your life. I can't. I don't have time for vacation. Hey, would you like to go do something fun? See, I can't. I don't have the time. (laughs) You guys get the point. You see what I'm saying here. After you pick up the pattern, start to choose another word. Even if you say it out loud. I can't. I don't have the time. Oh, actually, I... I want to, and I don't have the time. It's not that I can't. It's just that I'm not going to change my schedule right now. Anything to just shift away from this disempowering language of it's not even possible for me. It's not even available for me. Workshop that. See how it feels to you when you hear the word can't in your own mind. And if it's from someone else, you guys have heard me say this many times, ask for permission if you're going to try to coach them on that. (laughs) But if they're open to it, you can say, hey, I noticed you said the word can't. Can I help you with that? And if they're like, oh, please, you can start asking them, if it were possible, what would it look like? If you could, what would it look like? If there were no rules here, what would it look like? If you actually did have the time, what would you do? Something to pry open the possibility that they could, they've just decided they have no resources there. You get the point. Okay. So moving ahead. Can't is one of the major words that I refuse clients to allow into their world. We don't allow it anymore. It's not available in your language, in your vernacular, anything. It's not part of who you are. And therefore, we can't even speak it. Ah, see, I did it right there. Let me just address that head on. There are going to be times where you say the word, You already heard me say try, and I'm going to describe that later on, why I don't use the word try very often. It's not about perfection, first of all. You've heard me say a thousand times, this is about progress, not perfection in your language. If you're working at it, you will see major shifts in your identity, your energy, and your progress in your life and your business with subtle changes in your language, yet powerful changes in your language can't is one of the biggest things I recommend you address. The next one, you just heard me hint at this. The second word, not allowed in coaching in my world, not allowed in our house, is try. And all of my Star Wars fans out there are nodding going, do or do not. There is no try. (laughs) Ancient wisdom from Yoda there, right? At the end of the day, try is a trapdoor word. It gives us this sense of, yeah, I'm I'm halfway in, so that's okay, right? And it's not. We are either committed to the result or we are not. We are either doing the thing or we are not. And when we come to reality, come to terms with that, man, that can shift everything. So here's an example. When I coached real estate agents, a lot of times they would get ready to walk out the door and they'd say, all right, see y'all later. I'm going to go try to sell this house. And... For many of the agents I've trained out there, they're laughing right now because they know what comes next. I would immediately interrupt them and go, whoa, whoa, what'd you say? (laughs) And they look at me like a deer in headlights. What? I said, you said, I'm going to go try to sell this house. If you're going to try, like you're not even all in on it, why even go? If you're not certain that's the house for your client, why even show it to them, first of all? 
right? Now, it seems like kind of an asshole move. I get that. On the other hand, I want you to to really think about what I'm saying here. They had already given themselves a trap door that I'm going to do my best. We'll see what happens instead of this is all or nothing, right? If this is the house for them, I'm going to sell it to them because it's the perfect fit or they're so excited about it. And I know it's going to work and they know it's going to work. So we're going to lock this deal down. Extrapolate this to any type of business or industry that you're in. I'm going to try to get this proposal to work. I'm going to try to get this client to say yes. I'm going to try to improve our customer service. Whatever. Try gives you this trap door, this way out or get out of jail free card that honestly cannot exist if you are full of passion, if you're full of confidence and conviction that what you have to offer is the best. So see in your world where the word try is creeping in. I have a client last week and this week, he's been working on reducing his social media usage. And at the end of the call last week, he said, I'm going to try to get off Twitter. And I said, whoa, hang on, hang on. Let's go through that. What do you mean? And he's been coaching with me for a while. So he knows, well, I'm going to get off Twitter. Okay, great. No more try. Either do it or don't. Let's commit one way or another so that there's no shaky language, no loose language, no trap doors in there. And he goes, okay, yeah, okay, I'm going to get off. Twitter. Well, the day before our coaching calls, you know, 24 hours before they get on their coaching call, all of my clients fill out a quick form. And in one of those questions on the form is some language that's, it's essentially, did you do what you said you were going to do? Did you do what you committed to? And this particular client wrote back and said, I did not delete Twitter. So I texted him immediately and I said, Hey, look, I understand that that didn't work and you committed to it. If you don't, I'm going to be, choose my words carefully here because I don't want it to sound like a threat. It wasn't a threat. And I said, if you don't get off Twitter, essentially, don't bother calling in to your coaching call because you already know what you should be doing during that time. It's right there on your form. You committed to it. You know it. I know it. Don't bother calling in if you're not going to do the work. And so ultimately, fast forwarding to the end result here, of course, he deleted it. It was gone. Trying to delete something is not deleting something. Trying to get over something is not getting over it. Committing, on the other hand, that I will delete it. I will get over it. I will X, Y, or Z. That's different. So I think you get the point, right? Let me pause here and zoom out for one second. The point of monitoring our language to this degree and the language of people that we're attempting to help or lead or both, the point of going this deep and close with it is to empower the person to catch their own mindset at work, right? So when my client said, I'm going to try to delete it and didn't, if I allow that, we set a new standard where that's okay. And then it gets reflected in the language later on. Well, I'm trying to make more money. I'm trying to take on new clients, whatever. So you're always giving people permission to continue the language they're choosing if you're not addressing it. So hopefully you're picking up on that as I move through words like can't and try. If I allowed the agents to walk out the door and say, I'm going to try to sell houses, we would just sanction automatically this loose language and this loose commitment. By shifting the language, we shift how the person thinks. By shifting how they think, we shift how they act. And that, of course, shifts the results they get. You see how that's all connected there? Okay, next word, should. I think I've used it at least twice in this podcast already. It's extremely difficult to eliminate the word should from your vocabulary. 
I just want you to consider for a moment how many times a day you use the word should in your mind or even out loud. I know I should stop smoking. I know I should go to the gym. I know I shouldn't stay up so late. I know I should fill out my coaching form 24 hours before my call. (laughs) Wherever your shoulds are showing up, there's a famous line from, I think it's from Tony Robbins. And he said, you end up with all these shoulds. I should do this. I should do that. And instead of taking action, you're real busy shoulding all over yourself. The reason this is important is it automatically introduces a feeling of shame or disappointment or at best just wrongness into your mind. I should do this and I'm not. You should know better. You should have done this for me. See how that implies shame there? At least in my interpretation, it does. And when people feel shame, they tend to do one of two things. Act out against it or drop into inaction. And I've found with my clients that the higher the amount of shoulds in their daily language, the lower the energy. I should get up early. Well, I didn't. I should eat better for breakfast. Well, I didn't. See, well, by lunchtime, I I know I should eat healthy for lunch because I didn't for breakfast, but I didn't for for breakfast, so I should eat. Ah, Who cares? And they automatically just like collapse in on themselves. So some of these examples are a little weak. I'm just going to acknowledge that. So if you're listening and you're like, what is he talking about? I kind of get where you're going. Here's what I'll say. It's been a long day (laughs) and I do my best to record these episodes in one take so that they're not over polished and you get a real and authentic description here. At the end of the day, what I'm saying about the word should is pay attention to what it's doing in your world internally or what it's doing to other people when you use the word should. Because my guess is there's an implication of shame or disappointment attached to it. And if you can change should to something of curiosity, I wonder why I didn't eat healthy for breakfast. I wonder why you weren't on time. I wonder why I'm so agitated right now. (laughs) If you can exchange that should for curiosity, I think you're going to get much better results almost instantly. All right. The last one that I want to address here is the word but. If you listened to the episode, the podcast episode with Pat Mancuso, there's one word you probably never heard him say. If I recall, I don't think he used it the entire episode. The word, but he has eliminated this word from his vocabulary for a very good reason. The word, but automatically implies something of lack or something counterintuitive. So for instance, if I say, I know I love you. But, God, you're so annoying sometimes. (laughs) You just negated everything before the word but, right? Yeah, I know I'm usually on time, but today traffic really sucked, so I wasn't. Here's the thing. When you're working with somebody closely, using the word but automatically introduces victimhood. Listen to this sentence, for instance. I know you're trying really hard And I know you can't take on any new clients right now, but I see you're working really hard. That's great. Did you see how many trap doors were there for them to continue the behavior? You can't right now is what I said. You're trying real hard. These things allow people to continue in the same pattern that does not serve them. So when my clients come on after a certain number of sessions, we start eliminating the word but for that reason. Because it's very rarely either or, but automatically implies it's either I love you or this, right? I love you, but you're so annoying sometimes. Watch what happens, if you're still with me here, watch what happens when you change the word 
but to and. I know the first thought that went through your mind was probably, I can't do that, (laughs) right? I can't eliminate the word, but. So there's a red flag. And also it works. Did you see how I just said that? And also instead of, but it works. Now, the other reason that I don't want clients to say, but is I want them to know that most of the time it's not an either or situation. And the way we start breaking open new avenues of possibility in their mind Honestly, changing their language is one of the fastest ways to get there. For instance, I'll talk about my friend Rob, who has decided to move from Southern California to Italy. And he would say things like, I love California, but the culture in Italy is outstanding and I feel at home there. So in working with him, I'm introducing this idea that they can both be true. It's not, I love California, but Italy has great culture or architecture or whatever it may be. It's and. For instance, I love the weather in California and I love the architecture in Italy. So by breaking open that both things can exist simultaneously, we give the brain a break because before the brain is going, oh, it's either or here. There's a but involved. It's either or. And that puts pressure on the decision because it's one or the other. You can have this piece of candy or this chocolate. (laughs) And I want both. (laughs) So if you're following along here, I think the only way through this is to exercise it. In your mind, when you catch yourself saying, yeah, but, start saying, yeah, and, and witness what happens when you see that both things can be true at the same time. That starts opening up all kinds of new possibilities in your life and in your business. Now, for my managers, my business leaders out there, listen very carefully when your employees or the people you're leading, come in and use the word, but it's almost always going to be followed by an excuse. So when you eliminate the word, but you change how they treat excuses. And if you don't believe me, give it a shot, see what happens and send me an email or respond back to the podcast here online. And let me know if it doesn't work, especially over time. My guess is it will. All right. So a bonus one here. I don't know. It's not that this is a bad thing to say. You know, if somebody asks me what the capital of a a country I've never visited is, I may say, I don't know. I really don't know. And that's not bad, right? That's not even disempowering. It's just neutral. However, in conversations of leadership, of coaching, when someone says, I don't know, it's often a deflection. It's often a one of these trap doors that I mentioned earlier. And you see how I just said and instead of but, by the way. And you can dig in with them and say, okay, if you had to guess. So for instance, employee comes in and says, "Uh, our quarterly numbers suck. You're not going to like them. And I don't know what happened. If it's their job to keep the quarterly numbers up, you can look at them and go, okay, if you had to guess, what is it? That's holding the line. That's holding the standard. That's digging in and helping them think in a more empowered way. If you don't, if they come in and say, yeah, I don't know what happened. And you go, okay, well, I guess I'll have to figure it out. You've just sanctioned that behavior. You've just sanctioned that limiting thought pattern, that language that limits them. Does that make sense? I know you can't answer yes or no. Ah, see, I said the word can't. So here's the deal. You see that it's not about perfection. In some instances, saying I don't know makes sense. I don't know the capital of that country. I just want you to start exercising this in real time in your mind and in your work so you can start making these shifts. And I've been doing this. The first time I heard to eliminate the word try and but was 
2014. And I still use the word sometimes. I will still catch myself talking with my wife sometimes and say, I know I'm trying to do this. And I'll catch myself and I'll go, okay, what I meant to say was, and I'm doing this right here. I will commit to this, not I'm trying. Remember, it's a process and we're seeking progress, not perfection. Now, we could spend all day talking about language. If you're curious about resources for learning more about how language affects behavior, personality even, culture in someone's world, you know, all kinds of things, I would look into neuro-linguistic programming. That's essentially a study of partly how language affects our brain and how it affects how we show up. Then you can also choose your language more carefully understanding these things. I think for coaches, NLP is what it's called, neuro-linguistic programming. I think NLP is extremely crucial in today's age where we have so much data coming at us and so many words thrown at us all day long in front of our screens. So look into that. And I would also encourage you to, to listen to some of Tony Robbins' work on language in the form of coaching. You know, he's one of the grandfathers of the coaching industry. And I think you can get a lot out of that. At the end of the day, if you do nothing else with this podcast, if you're sitting here going, yeah, but what am I going to do with this? At least eliminate the word can't from your vocabulary. At least get rid of the words try, switch but to and. Work on reducing, if not eliminating, the shoulds in your mind and in your spoken word. And start shifting I don't know to if I had to guess blah, blah, blah. And let me know what you think. If it doesn't work, (laughs) which I would be very surprised if it doesn't work, but if it doesn't work and if it doesn't work, shoot me a message. All right. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening to the show, for supporting our guests. We're going to have some outstanding guests coming up in the next few weeks. So make sure to tune back in. We have a world-class author, world-class photographer who are going to talk about personal growth in their businesses and how they're helping people change their lives with what they've learned through their growth journey. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Relentless Growth. If you're ready to start leading your life and business with a new level of passion, purpose, and relentless growth, go to goodmancoachinginc.com where you can join the email list and sign up for a coaching consultation right now.